people who come to the Enneagram uh, from a position of curiosity as opposed to an agenda of um, proving it wrong Mm -hmm. or negating it. And people who come with the agenda of wanting to teach the Enneagram before they've come curious as a student Mm. of the Enneagram, that's a different thing too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think all of that has to do with the Enneagram. Hey everybody, welcome to No Small Things, the podcast dedicated to helping you live a less certain and more curious life. I'm Scott. And I am Mace. Welcome to episode 140D. Part D. Part D. You've made it. It's a Thursday when this is released. Welcome. You know, just this did not necessarily happen intentionally, but honestly, even as I'm thinking about it, this Enneagram Blitz, you guys are in the wind down section Mm -hmm. and it makes so much sense because... Maybe if you're thinking about it in terms of yoga, we did actually didn't do a very good warm up. True, we, we just right like jumped right in with big hormone. We gave a really long rambly intro, so we yeah, did that. Yeah, so I guess that's a warm up. That's a, that is a warm up. Yeah. So good for us. And then Beatrice sort of keeps it going on a plateau of sorts, like. But then Ben winds down, and now Suzanne is a nice wind down mm-hmm. and stretching. Yeah, stretching and just brings us back, especially me, because I was doing this interview, like to to the basics, to the things we always have liked about the Enneagram, to things that we can agree on and hold to be true. And and I think one of my biggest takeaways, which I don't even know if she said outright explicitly, but I feel like the spirit of this was hovering over and she might have said it exactly like this, but um don't get too wrapped up in your type. I mean, it's good to know that, but like the, the ultimate message is we should all be integrating into all these types right? and seeing the best in each other and use it as a tool for empathy and, and, and use it to try to understand each other. Mm -hmm. And I just felt happy and chill and calm and excited and curious and at ease after this conversation. And that's what I want. And And I hope we get to talk to her more. I know. Same. So you will listen to this and you will hear that it's just Scott with Susan mm-hmm. all. I, as was forementioned in the previous one, already kind of had started winding down from the Enneagram. <laughs> I also couldn't make this interview because I had a class that day. You're like taking five right classes time, this taking, quarter? I'm losing my goddamn mind because <laughs> I'm taking five classes this quarter. So I couldn't be there. And you, Scott, you called me right after and were just so excited and Mm. I could sense such peace Mm. as you were sharing. So Mm. I'm, I, when, before we even recorded this, we were like looking at snippets from this interview and everything you're saying, I agree. Like listening to this, it's like, this is kind of like a final, like a nice wisdom speaking over what we just did in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. kind of helping us to wind down this process Mm And remember, remember our roots. Remember, like, this is, 
This is about learning how to love ourselves, how to see ourselves, how to love others, how to see others. Yes. It's what got us in from the beginning. So we want to keep being curious about. Yeah, it's so cool. I mean, we've been so impacted by these people. And Suzanne was another just writer and podcaster like that we were passing around in the very early days. So I guess one final thing as we head into this is I'll just read a little bio here for those of you that don't know Suzanne Stabile, but Suzanne Stabile is a highly sought after speaker and teacher known for her engaging laugh, personal vulnerability and creative approach to Enneagram instruction. After 25 years of studying the Enneagram, learning from people's stories, cultivating relationships and learning under father Richard Rohr, she used her work and extensive knowledge of the Enneagram to co-author The Road Back to You, an Enneagram journey to self-discovery with Ian Cron. She followed with her second bestseller, The Path Between Us, an Enneagram journey to healthy relationships. And you'll hear in this episode, she's soon to be coming out with an, a third book. And we hinted at possibly bringing her up to Seattle and we could be potentially part of that. So boop, boop. who knows what happens in the era of COVID. But uh, yeah, I mean... It seems like that would actually be. Uh, I we could I could foresee that happening. Like no small thing, hosting Suzanne Stabile would be so. Oh my gosh, it would be so cool, yeah. so cool. So oh that would be so amazing. <gasps> <laughs> so excited for you guys to hear this episode. It was a wonderful conversation. I we hope just as people, Mason, me trying to provide you all with an experience here through our podcast that this is is a breath of fresh air. It's a wind down. We we will probably come out. Well, we're probably going to do uh, episode one forty. What would it, e, e. <laughs> with some final reflections? Some reflections on this whole process yeah. for us and what it was like. Corpse pose <laughs> episode. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, but yeah, we're really looking forward to you hearing this. And here is our conversation with Suzanne Stabile. And you just um, you you lead me where you're cur- where you're curious. Okay, I will. And I'll follow and tell you what makes me curious about what makes you curious. I love that. Okay. I love that. Okay, well, so you were saying something earlier before we started recording about your new book coming out, and you're you're sort of um, at least adding your voice and your philosophy in terms of how you approach the enneagram to the broader ecosystem of what's out there. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your mindset on that. <laughs> um, well, you know, I started studying the Enneagram in the early 80s. And nothing was really, not much was written down and published until the mid-1970s. So in those days, back in those days, <laughs> I swore I'd never say that, and I do. But in, in that time period, um, there wasn't a lot written and there weren't a lot of authors to choose from but for the most part looking back what was available was really well done and there uh Richard Rohr taught me the Enneagram so Mm. that's where my lineage comes and Russ Hudson is a friend of mine Mm. so just to situate myself in right. those days, there was Rizzo and Hudson, and then over here was Richard Rohr, and then over here was Helen Palmer. Mm-hmm. 
And they each have a little bit of a different approach. Helen Palmer is an intuitive. And actually her um, initial focus was, we can all be intuitives, we just have to be taught. Right. Richard Rohr's approach was the Enneagram is a Christian perspective. And Rizzo and Hudson were taking a, a psychological and spiritual look, but primarily psychological mm-hmm. at the Enneagram. And they didn't all agree with one another, but they all honored that each body of work adhered to um, the original Enneagram wisdom that we have available, but it was taught as it was seen through the lens of who they were and of their numbers. And none of them are the same number. Right. So I think um, I'm glad for those years and I'm glad that I had the chance to learn in that context. And I'll, I will never forget the first time I thought, uh, I'm sorry, I'll never forget the first time I thought Richard was wrong. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> But I, I think I was right that he was wrong. But it took me a while to get to that. And um, he welcomed that. Yeah. Right? So um, I like the idea that you're uh, all about being curious. And what I was curious about when I learned the Enneagram, because I'm a two and because I'm female, I think, mm-hmm. I was curious about um, how I could use it. Enneagram and, you know, Enneagram and family, Enneagram and parenting, Enneagram and marriage, Enneagram work, Enneagram and, because that's how I see the world, right? Mm -hmm. And I haven't found a a place where that isn't still alive and well. I could, I I, uh, just turned in the manuscript for a book that'll be out in late fall, uh, but I, already know kind of the next thing I want to think about. And it's um, a matter of applied Enneagram wisdom Mm -hmm. for me and how I can apply it to make people's lives better. People who come to the Enneagram uh, from a position of curiosity as opposed to an agenda of um, proving it wrong Mm -hmm. or negating it. And people who come with the agenda of wanting to teach the Enneagram before they've come curious as a student Mm -hmm. of the Enneagram, that's a different thing too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think all of that has to do with the Enneagram. (laughs) you know some numbers want shortcuts yeah some numbers want to dive deep some numbers want to help other people some people you know uh, my husband is a united methodist pastor but he's a former catholic priest Mm -hmm. and he was a vincentian with the vincentian fathers and richard is three years older than him but he's franciscan Mm -hmm. and they both left home at 14 and went to seminary wow 14 and Yes. And um, they got to come home, each of them, for three summers. And then they stayed. They didn't go home for nine years Mm. in different orders. But they had this same experience. Yeah. And because of that, they approached the Enneagram with 
a different curiosity than anybody else I talk to. So maybe the mystical nature of the Enneagram and its wisdom is that um, there's a place for all of us to look at it and work with it. My um, joy and concern, you know how in churches they do joys and concerns? Well, I'm a pastor's wife. I'm average at that, but I, I'm, I'm dry. <laughs> and um, with joys and concerns, um, I, I kind of began to learn that there's two sides to absolutely, absolutely everything. So a joy for me is that the Enneagram is very trendy right now. Mm-hmm. And a concern for me is that the Enneagram is very trendy. Yeah. And I'm thankful mm-hmm. that so many people are interested and I'm concerned about um, people getting too far away from the original baseline, tried and true tradition and wisdom that's there. Yeah. Um, I had occasion to be uh, with Russ Hudson and he and I are kind of trying to cook up a deal with Richard Rohr and um, we all three ended up on the phone together talking and I, it was one of the best moments of my life, Hmm. honestly, because the conversation between the two of them was about, well, what do you think is going to happen to the original work? Do you think it's going to get watered down? Do you think we're going to lose what we need? And I was feeling all that. And I don't think it is going to get watered down. I think what's true will stand. Mm-hmm. And I think the rest will ultimately fall away, but I think it will have left us mm-hmm. things that we need to know and, and, and ways that um, the Enneagram can be better and, maybe ways that other people can hear it differently. Mm. But you you don't get to just abandon what is, right? So right now we're in liminal space. Have you done any work around liminality and all yeah. of that? Yeah, my wife actually is a trained certified liminal space guide up here in Seattle. But like Hello. Yeah. <laughs> oh okay. Well I don't know if I have much to say. <laughs> well I, I haven't talked about it on the podcast. I mean <laughs> I don't think anybody that's listening really knows. Well, yeah. Good for her <laughs> because it's so, so, so important. Yeah. And my stance around liminality is that it's so hard to stay there on the threshold mm. that some numbers want to run ahead and create a whole new thing without bringing any of the stuff with them that was worth keeping. Mm. And some numbers want to go back to the way things used to be. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and the language is it worked, right? Yeah. We, we should have kept that. It worked. Yeah. And some numbers, I, I think actually because of stances, this all occurs. Mm-hmm. And some numbers are finding a way to be on the threshold as long as there are other people there with them. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with whether or not, I think it has to do with whether or not you're in the aggressive stance or the dependent stance or the withdrawing stance, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we need all of those mm-hmm. we um, are at home in one triad and we're at home in one stance but we're not complete mm-hmm. 
absolutely. Without the other triads and the other stances. Mm. And so I think it's so great. Like I um, just turned in this manuscript, but I'm, I'm lacking a little bit of narrative that I'd like to have. Mm. So uh, we just put word out to some people who have done Enneagram work with me. And we chose three who are each of the nine numbers mm. and asked them to send back this little thing that we'll probably use in the book. And, um, you know, maybe we ought to be asking questions of all nine numbers, no matter what we're doing professionally and no matter where we find ourselves, because it's the only way we're going to get the entire view of what you can see in the world mm. and the entire array of responses that we might offer in light of whatever happens. You kind of have to be pretty sure of where you fit in all of this mm -hmm. to have those kinds of discussions. But if you're not there yet, you can get there, right? There's a lot available that you can learn. And I, on the spiritual side, I believe that part of uh, being able to affirm our humanity somehow has to do with knowing that we belong to this group of nine, but that we're uniquely different yeah. from the other eight. I love that. And the illusion or the idea that we're all the same is just wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, when I walk into a room with, where there's a skeptic or two, um, which, of course, is normal, usually they're uh, men who came with women who asked for it for Valentine's Day or something. Right? <laughs> and... Um, <clears throat> So when I teach uh, Know Your Number Workshop, I start with eights. And I, I like to teach in triad order. So I teach eights, nines, and ones. Mm -hmm. Well, if, and, and I'm pretty good at what I do. So once I've taught eights, eights know if they're eights or not. Yeah. Like nobody in the room struggling. <laughs> yeah. And eights are, that. yep, that's me. Yeah. And then I, and everybody else is thinking, well, I'm not that. And then I teach nines mm -hmm. and they're so different. So you can't walk away after two numbers with we're all pretty much the same because we're pretty much not. Yeah. Yeah. My wife was uh, trained down before the COVID happened. It was like one of the last things went to like an Enneagram certification. My wife likes getting a lot of certifications. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they had different panels up front on the stage uh, just to talk and we, for everybody to observe how the different types engage. And it was like the eights were on stage and all of them at different points kept saying, Oh, you interrupted me. Oh, I'm not done yet. Um, and it's like the, and my wife who's a nine just cringed at that. Like just the comfortability of saying, excuse me, you interrupted me. <laughs> yeah. She would never do that. <laughs> oh, no, no. Like, okay. okay. I'm being interrupted. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and there's a gift in being able to stop somebody and interrupt them, right? Like, mm -hmm. and we learn that. So when I'm starting to teach, I said, I don't know if you'll know your number when you leave. I, you probably will, mm -hmm. but I, 
I can't guarantee that. I guarantee that anybody who hears me teach it all day, which it takes me all day to do, will walk away more compassionate. Mm. So my hope that is waning, by the way, (laughs) is that we could come out of this liminal time more compassionate. Are you are you thinking of COVID as a liminal time or or yeah 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 and I um, I don't know that that's going to happen. Hmm. I know I know it's um, it seems like uh, I don't know there's so many cliche things I could say about the state of things right now and um, but yeah I mean. I mean if, if I'm identifying as a five, um, I have very much liked being in quarantine. I've got this little office set up all day down here and I'm just by myself. It's really nice. Um, but yeah, it does seem like there, there could be an opportunity to um, have cultivated a little bit more self-awareness, mm-hmm. and a little bit more patience with the way things are done, like or even a curiosity. I'm always thinking... Uh, the obsession that we have with sort of always gathering. We don't always have to be gathering. We can do some things. Right. Do some things apart. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Um, Do you want to say a little bit more about your hope waning? Sure. Yeah. Um, I've been saying for, I don't know, as long as I can remember that I think everybody I've ever encountered wants these two things. I think they want their life to have meaning. Mm-hmm. And I think they want belonging. Mm-hmm. And so silo that for a minute. And over here, um, I learned this in being a pastor's wife. Mm-hmm. The easiest way to get a group to cohere is with a common enemy. Yeah. And when you can't find another one, it's the current pastor. Totally. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and then the church coheres, but the pastors, you know, suffers yeah. through that some. And um, I kind of thought before the pandemic that um, we were opening up a bit, mm-hmm. maybe a little holding to what we think or believe a little less tightly. Not that we would necessarily change how we believe, but but with curiosity and making room for how somebody else believes and approaching that with curiosity as opposed to, I'm sure that I'm right and here's why you should think what I think. Right. And I think uh, one has to be, feel pretty secure to be curious. Yeah, yeah. I don't think people are going to feel secure again for a long time. Mm. And I, um, it's interesting because when groups can't meet and I agree what you said about gathering, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. We overgather perhaps, Mm -hmm. but when groups can't meet that are diverse, then people are drawn to ideology. Mm And in the last, I don't know, couple of years, maybe, 
it's been ideology that doesn't really have an opportunity to be examined because we're not gathering in diverse groups. Mm. And without diversity, then all we're left with is dualistic thinking. If there's no, if, if there's no diversity, then I either like it or I don't, it's right or it's wrong, it's good or it's bad. And so I think people in choosing an ideology to follow have done that following leaders for the most part who are over against mm -hmm. another ideology. And unfortunately, I'd love to know what you think about this, but unfortunately, I think that really stifles curiosity. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess just a little bit more context you know i've been hosting a um affirming youth group online virtually and, <laughs> and it's it's cool because it started last year and it's grown to about 100 kids and they're coming from all over the world and i have been a youth pastor for 20 years and it's 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 really refreshing because i've mostly worked in the presbyterian church um we don't have a statement of faith or something like that. We're just calling ourselves Christians, and mm -hmm. um, the 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 students that join us are coming from all different backgrounds. Um, you know, and, and I'm so glad to hear about that. I want to hear more, but I just yeah. don't want to forget to tell you. Yeah, I need to know that information because mm. I'll hand that out right and left. Oh, please, please, yeah, I, we will do it. I'm I'm like I have chill bumps. That we've been needing that for a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and I've I've always wanted to do it, but I haven't known of a church that would hire me to do that. So um, we sort of created it, and our our anniversary celebration will be on February fourteenth of this year. But um, I I I I have I think the the Enneagram has has influenced my approach to just youth ministry, and I and I sort of would love to see a book or a writing or a, something on like a theology of the body of Christ combined with the Enneagram and just that conversation around diverse gifts and how we're all fitting together and using our, our gifts. But um, I, I always tell the kids in this space, we're not doing sort of this top down uh, doctrine learning thing. It's like, I, I have a, I have an MDiv, uh, but I tell the kids, this is a space of mutual learning. I, I tell them, you all have something to teach me about God. I have something to teach you and we're going to approach it with curiosity and um, I think that when I think about it from the Enneagram perspective, it's, it's thinking we're all approaching spirituality and God and theology and doctrine and all of this stuff so differently. So I'm going to miss something if I'm so focused on my own agenda or my own belief. And then also I have this desire to get kids confident and comfortable in talking about their own experience of God. Um, so, yeah, I guess... Uh, all that tying back to this idea of uh, us all needing each other. Yeah. You know, we really do need each other because we're so focused on our one, through our lens of our type, I think. Um, yeah. I think what you're doing is so great. I hope God didn't call me to, uh, to start some online group for old people who can't understand the group that you're got online. <laughs> That's a job I don't want. <laughs> so um, 
what about starting to do a little bit of recording about what you're hearing mm. from them? Do are you, you do, are do they know the Enneagram at all or? Some of, some of them, I mean, that's been one of the fun things is like in the church I used to work for before we started this, um, they, everybody was pretty spooked about the Enneagram. You know, it's all that classic stuff of people thinking it's like a satanic symbol or something like that. And so it was really fun. I, I have still um, bad muscle memory of even being comfortable talking about the Enneagram. So I think last October we did these things called breakout groups. And for four weeks we were offering five different yeah. breakout groups and you and so my friend who runs the podcast with me we said we're, we're gonna do Enneagram and and I was like are we gonna get in trouble and we're like no because we're the ones in charge of this youth group yeah <laughs> but it was so fun I think like 12 kids joined us and it was just sort of intro to the Enneagram and um, it does seem like because it is sort of a pop thing right now I don't know most kids that join the youth group seem to at least have heard of the Enneagram but it, it would be really fun to do like a, an official six-week series or something like that mm -hmm. with a whole group. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, if you decide to do something like that, get in touch with us. I think Joel uh, and Laura can give you a, a way to access some of my yeah. teaching. Yeah. Like if you're going to do it, I want them to know their number. Okay. Okay. Right? Like I don't right. want them to take a quiz. Yeah. 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 So now I'm all up in your business because yeah, I love it. I that's love what it. I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you get in touch with us if okay. there if we can help with resources, we'd happily donate those. Oh, it'd be so fun. That would be so fun. We'd love to do that. I'm yeah. so thankful for what you're doing. Uh Joe and I have four children. Our youngest son is gay. Mm, I didn't know. So that. we walked the walk and um yeah. Yeah. And the Methodist Church, you know, we're about to split, probably. Mm -hmm. And yeah, well, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> okay, you're the guest. I don't want you to be able to talk. Um, yeah, I think uh, I'm always so proud of myself when I choose not to get in trouble. <laughs> um, um, so here's what I want to ask you. Okay. Do you think you're particularly gifted for that group because for you thinking it dominates over feelings? Are you talking about like the like um, the way I approach theological topics or something like that? Like I'm kind of thinking about all of it. I, yeah. I, 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 I'm not being self-deprecating. I'm good at a lot of stuff. Yeah. I wouldn't be good at that hmm. because of my two-ness and because I'm feeling dominant. Right. You know, I'd be inviting kids whose parents don't accept them to come live with us. I'd be doing all kinds of things I'm not supposed to. Right. And none That's of that would be the right thing to do. It's the feeling dominant thing to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I always teach about fives is that they're capable of true neutrality. Mm. And what a gift to be able to work with those kids and see two sides to things at least, right? Yeah, that's, that's I'm so always, glad you're doing that. It's so nice to hear from you on that, Suzanne. I think, um, I think right these days, I think I do, I think I'm leaning into being a head type. 
Yes, I don't sure. know. I don't feel like a seven. I'm entertaining six. I feel like a five, but um, uh, neutrality has felt like something that has been very true to me over the years. And especially when I'm getting in situations where it's a huge mission trip and I'm, I've got 150 kids and some big drama is coming up. Um, I, you know, I've been going to therapy for about three years now and I always talk about there's, this is a blessing and a curse. You know, it said, when feelings start to arise, I feel like I go into a hot air balloon yeah. and I just go right up into my head. Uh, so that can be a blessing in the sense of emotions are sort of running the conversation. I'm just naturally out of that space yeah. and I'm observing it. <laughs> um, I had a, an apprentice one time in one of my groups who was a five, but he was a social five. Mm-hmm. And he said he felt like a, a Tootsie Roll pop, like he was <laughs> all head and then this thin little stick was the rest of him. Yeah. These metaphors are very helpful, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm concerned, uh, yeah, but I can, you know, I, I don't, I don't get overwhelmed by the emotionality of it. And, and just in terms of Enneagram, I think I've also used that to cultivate teams. Cause I think right now we have a, a group of about 28 leaders that I'm working with and they're all different types. And they, you know, we meet every Sunday at five and we're checking and comparing notes. And we're like, you didn't think of that. No, you missed that. And did somebody think of this? And so using the Enneagram for teams is fabulous. Crazy good. Because yeah. otherwise you're going to miss a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have a practice. Have you heard me talk about the uh, three pieces of paper on the wall? No, no. I'd love to hear that. Well, um, it, it, I encourage people to, and you can't do it on your laptop. You got to put paper on the wall. Yeah, that's what we do. We have we have the stickies in here. We put the paper on the wall. There you go. Okay. Well, that's what I want you to do. I mean, that's what you would do. And yeah. you're going to put up three sheets and you're going to leave it, them all three are going to be on the wall for six weeks. Mm-hmm. And you got to put them somewhere where you're going to see them, you know, like not in the closet or yeah. not. Right. Yeah. And for the first two weeks, on the first piece of paper, you write about the belief system that you grew up with. Mm. No matter what your age is, that's what you do. In the middle piece, you write the belief system of the organizations and the groups that you're a part of and your family. But you keep the others up in case you think of something else. So you're still on, two weeks are up in case you think of something from the past. Mm -hmm. Then you're working on this. And then the last two weeks, you write down what you believe. And it's astonishing. Yeah. So, you know, I teach in stances. So I teach triads and stances. And stances, you're either thinking repressed, feeling repressed, or doing repressed. Mm -hmm. And um, it particularly ones, twos, and sixes, which is thinking repressed, Mm -hmm. they haven't reevaluated much of anything from childhood. They just brought it with them. (laughs) well when you get to be older and feeling um i I don't have this experience i feel very honored in my age but there are a lot of people who are older who feel marginalized because they're older not honored yeah and um it it's hard to look at what life would have been like if you had let go of something Mm. and to discover that in fact 
you don't even believe that. Yeah. It's just part of what you learned in Sunday school when you were 12. Mm -hmm. It's the most wonderful experience. I uh, really, a lot of people have told me it was really great for them. And Joel has done, um, our son, you know, who works with us, he's done groups that do it. Like they don't do it in the group, but they do it at home. Come talk about it. Yes. Um, yeah. That's a that great could, exercise. It, isn't it great? Yeah. It produces a lot of uh, curiosity, mm -hmm. <laughs> a little shame mm -hmm. that gets turned into peace. Because I think people, do you think people who are trying to be part of something that they don't really believe have this inner thing going on that's got to be pretty tough, even if they can't name it? Right. You, you mean, especially you say ones, twos, and sixes as like compliant types. I, I'm sure it's pretty painful to admit or not admit, but um, see that. The, the, all the work you put into a system wasn't necessary, maybe. Yeah. And it's yep. like, I've wasted X and X years of my life uh, and, and I've been preaching it and I was wrong. And it's Have like, you read Brian McLaren? You know his work? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's a dear friend of ours. No, I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if I can ever get you both in the same city, then yeah. you can be friends too. And he's a four, right? Uh, he is. Yeah. And, um, Brian said, I'm, I'm, I'm checking myself to make sure this is public knowledge and I'm good. Okay, good job. So when I was learning from him, I, um, early, like long, 15 years ago, mm -hmm. I grew up Methodist and then I became Catholic and then Joe got excommunicated and now then he became a Methodist pastor and now uh, for the last 33 years. And um I don't know much about evangelicalism, for example. So mm -hmm. I said, Brian, you know, was in that tradition. So I said, teach me about being evangelical. And uh, evangelical starter kit or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he can flat do it. Yeah. And he did. Mm -hmm. And I was very taken with all the things that he said. And because I'm me, I said, well, why did you leave that ministry? And he said, well, when I no longer believed the answers that I was giving my parishioners to their questions, I had to. Yeah. And good Lord, I hope that we have opportunity on opportunity on opportunity to no longer believe what we used to believe and believe something new. Yeah. Richard Rohr talks about that. And he says the best protection from the next word of God is the last word of God. Mm. Ooh, ooh, I know in that great. That great. You can do yeah. a lot of that. Yeah, that's so. I mean, and that's so. I mean, Richard Rohr is like kind of hovering over the conversation. I was talking to somebody last week. Um, who, <laughs> I mean, a, a part of what I do now as somebody that's like a, an older youth pastor, you know, forty-one youth pastors tend to be a little younger than that, but. I, I really enjoy talking to parents 
And I had talked to this mom whose son had come out as gay and she found out about us and wanted to talk to me. And she was very quick to be like, I'm turning around all my theology. I'm affirming. I love my son. And, but she was like, but I'm really worried. He started reading this guy named Richard Rohr, you know, I was like, what do you think of that? And I was like, Oh, you should be excited. <laughs> I was like, who's this guy? You know? Um, yeah. A good guy. He's a good guy. Good guy. Yeah. So Laura, my Laura is, uh, it, uh, her history is your present. Mm, yeah. Wow. So she's all in the wheelhouse of working with kids and all that comes with that. And all of that. I'm amazed. Yeah. I, I was a youth pastor for one summer when I was 18. <laughs> <laughs> that was enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just thought I'd rather coach than pastor. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> I, yeah, I think maybe maybe another thing that's happening in this conversation is this idea of like curiosity. I say this very playfully of, of it sort of becoming a religion of sorts. And, and, and I know what that sounds like to someone's ears. I'm not saying it literally. Sure. But, but if you could also say the Enneagram, um, and, and again, certain people would just get so nervous about me saying this, but becomes sort of central in your life and you're using that as a lens and I guess what it could possibly do is help people to see their faith and scripture and community and church in a different way. And it could very naturally, I think that's one of the things I get sad about is whatever type I am, I've always enjoyed pushing buttons and getting people to think outside the box. And, and I, I, I all, it seems a little eightish, but um, I'm constantly having to be reminded about the impact that has on people and some people get way. So you know, five goes to eight insecurity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard, <laughs> I know that. Um, I, th I think you're well seated in fiveness. I wouldn't question that much. Okay, okay, that's helpful. I mean, isn't it interesting that Beatrice also felt very comfortable saying that? Um, but I always think it's so wonderful to think new things, and I sure. have to, I have to pay attention to how it makes other people feel anxious. But at the same time. I feel like what I'm wanting is to ultimately get someone into a more spacious, less anxious place. But the initial- I think this about that. Yeah. I think five, sixes and sevens from their thinking dominant place mm -hmm. tend to ask questions that they wouldn't want to answer if they were asked. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so I think a good thing for you is if somebody that you didn't know well just asked you that question, yeah. would you feel comfortable answering it. Yeah. And, and and that doesn't mean you change the question. It just will give you more compassion for them. That That's a great way of saying it. And I've been doing like a little experiment on my Facebook this week um, because people are talking a lot about unity these days. Yeah, they are. So I'm asking different iterations of can we unify around this? Can we unify around this? And just seeing what people say. And uh, what does it mean? What, what does it mean? mean? Yeah. yeah. I don't know what it means. We We say... That we're uh, in unity around the teachings of Jesus and the understanding of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. And according to Phyllis Tickle, we have divided ourselves into 39,000 distinctly different Protestant denominations. So if that's unity, I don't know. Yeah, no, <laughs> I love Phyllis Tickle too, but yeah, no, I think that's a great point. It's like, again, kind of going back to the thing I'm doing currently, I hope it doesn't become one of those more rigid and calcified systems, which it seems like any system tends to do, but um, 
we're not unifying around a, a set of doctrine. You, you could just say maybe we're unifying around Jesus or we're unifying around the Great Commission or we're unifying around the Great Commandment or but as simple as possible, because people want to or tend to, especially in the church, say, yes, Jesus, and here's the five-page document of what we mean by that, you know? Yeah. So I'm going to tell you a philosophical story. Yeah. I love this story so much. <laughs> I love her so much. I yeah. miss her terribly. Mm-hmm. But she, um, she, we used to do big conferences, and wow. Phyllis was a speaker at oh. one of them one time. So here's her story. Somebody asked her, um, I'm not sure what the question, oh, I don't know what the question was, but (laughs) what what she was ultimately talking about was inclusivity and equality and understanding and place for the LGBTQ plus community. And how long ago was that? Um, Maybe eight years ago, eight or 10, mm-hmm. but nothing she said has changed. Yeah. And she said, now here's the problem. She used to say that frequently. Here's the problem. Mm-hmm. And then she state it for you and leave you very curious. <laughs> she said, you know, I grew up in the Presbyterian church in rural uh, Tennessee. And um, she said, I wasn't very pretty as a little girl. And there was a beautiful woman in our small church. And I liked to watch her. And I would watch her every week at church. And um, her husband died and she had two little boys. And she's doing life with her husband and her two little boys. But she said, I would notice that sometimes when she comes to church, she'd be sad. And sometimes she would wear a scarf and sometimes she looked like she was hurting. Mm. And she said, and then one day she came to church and one of the little boys had his arm in a cast. Yeah. And no, no, no. Her husband, she was married. I'm sorry. She was still married. <laughs> yeah, yeah. First I'm sorry. I'm usually a story better right. storyteller. <laughs> yeah, no, she's married story. to her. She's married. Uh, she and her husband, the little boys, all everything I just said. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day she comes with a, her arm in a cast and then she got a divorce. Mm-hmm. And when she got a divorce, the Presbyterian church wouldn't let her s- receive communion anymore. And she couldn't stay on the first floor of the church. So they moved her and her little boys up into the balcony. And Phyllis missed her and missed being able to watch her and didn't understand why she was in the balcony and, you know, all that. And there was a very nice man in the church. Mm-hmm. And the nice man started dating this beautiful woman. And then they got married. And then he got moved to the balcony <laughs> because he couldn't receive communion and all that. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. But true, yeah. so many people can tell you that, that exact yeah. same Absolutely. story, right? Mm-hmm. And then Phyllis would when she told that would go on to say, um, but now uh, women can speak in the church. And if you're divorced, you can still be in the church. And if you divorce and remarry, you can come to church. And she would go through the whole list of things that used to be taboo. And then she would say, 
the one thing that's left that's going to cause sola scriptura to fall mm-hmm. is the teaching on homosexuality. Yeah. And if people let go of that it's bad and it's a sin and it's terrible, mm-hmm. then that's the last bastion for sola scriptura. And she said, and then the big question becomes, uh, where does authority lie? Yeah. And um, the answer, of course, is in Jesus. Yeah. But who, who can measure up to that? This is me talking, not Phil's. Yeah. <laughs> you understand everything he says mm-hmm. and everything he does, and it's pretty clear how mm-hmm. you're supposed to behave. Mm-hmm. And people would rather argue about other stuff <laughs> than try to sign up for that, right? Yeah. But that's where authority started, maybe, and that's where it's going to be again. Mm-hmm. And I, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. That's, we'll that's, see who the next group is after it's not the gay community. Yeah. Then who are we going to all hate next time, right? right? Yeah. Not all, all, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's something to just a, a series or a, a talk or a sermon on this idea of, of Jesus saying, you heard it said, but I say unto you, it's just like Jesus was always challenging the religious religious authorities of his yeah. day. And so we always think we now represent Jesus, um, but Jesus is always on the side of the marginalized and oppressed. So it's as simple yeah, as you that. Want to do that. Do you really want to do that? Yeah. Um, All right. Well, so since this is for your Enneagram yeah. Lollapalooza or whatever it is, <laughs> why don't I run through the nine numbers and we'll, we'll do something that. about that. I'd love that. Right, you give me a question for all nine numbers, I'll answer it. Oh, like, goodness. Yeah. Like, how did they do ABC? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, I guess maybe you could, just on brand in terms of what we're talking about, is maybe how either how do they approach spirituality or how do they approach community or how do they approach church or something like that? Okay. Which one sounds most interesting to you? I don't know. I'll start talking and we'll see where we land. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk about ones. Spirituality is tricky for ones because it's not concrete enough. Mm. You know, Believing in uh, mystical things and uh, is it, it in Eucharist? Is the bread still bread? Is it Jesus? Oh, is it? This is good. I like how you're doing it. Let's just choose spirituality. This is good. How okay. They, yeah, this is all good. Right. So does that mean you don't want me to do all three? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to help you not get too overwhelmed. I need a lot of help, <laughs> as you might have noticed. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Um, so that's tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe and I used to do a prayer retreat, Enneagram prayer, and we taught different prayer methods and we would send people off to pray. And it didn't matter what I did. The ones came back terribly unhappy. So um, I decided I was going to send them to do um, gazing. Henry Nowen called it gazing. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going to have an icon and a candle on a table and they could, you know, meditate on that. So I picked the best room at the retreat center. I made sure the tablecloth was even all the way around. I 
had an icon, got a candle, but you know, of course it couldn't be a candle that had a scent and it, you know, couldn't be too big. It had to be all, all the things. And I thought I've got them. Like yeah. I've got them now. <laughs> and they came back. And the first one that came up to the lectern said, good grief. Do you think iconographers think that all saints had fingers that were that long? Wow. And I thought, is that, I said, well, is that all you noticed? And this one said, no. I've always wondered why when you burn a candle, it divides into three little pieces. I said, did you notice that was Mary and Jesus? Wow. <laughs> well, this isn't over. Well, I did notice. And you know, if you take your arm, Mary's arm out from around Jesus, and she walked away, it's so long it would be dragging on the ground. Wow. So then no praying with icons. <laughs> I couldn't find one that didn't have long fingers. <laughs> but uh, we did find something that worked, mm. kind of. Yeah. And that's prayer beads. Mm. Yeah. And so we have our own in our ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe wrote the prayers and a friend of Joe's makes the beads for us and they uh, are attuned to the fruits of the spirit. Mm. Because if a one wants to start another spiritual practice, they need an entryway from, you know, the street to there and they need something that will help, help the critics stand down. So that would be... Um, with praying beads, you use your hands, you use your mouth, you use your brain. Yeah. So it's thinking, feeling, doing. It works. It it helps. It helps. Uh, twos. I um, found out young in my Enneagram years that Henry Nowen was a self-identified two on the Enneagram. Doesn't and I thought, no, not at all. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I'm going to. I think I need to see another two spiritual journey, mm-hmm. right? So I would encourage you uh, to follow. I'll tell you later who. Okay. <laughs> uh, who's a five. Okay. Who, who I think you'd be intrigued by. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I, I said, I'm just going to read everything now and wrote in the order that he wrote. It. Well, he wrote a lot of books, if you don't know. Yeah, I have so, here. <laughs> about four years ago, I decided to reread them. Hmm. And all of the notations that I have in all 40 volumes, except about six or seven, are things that would be helpful to other people. Hmm. Yeah. Because that's two stuff, right? You just, the way I see the world is, who who will this help? Yeah which negated the fact that that was supposed to be my journey through Nowen's work. Mm. So there's a, there's a real problem in twos figuring out how to have their own journey and how to work on and on behalf of and for themselves. Yes. Because their focus is on other people. What a profound insight that you had looking back. It was all right there in writing for you to see. You're like, Thinking yep. about how it will serve others, yeah. which is really oh, sweet, but yeah, it sounds like it. I think it's just a cop out. <laughs> <laughs> but if you, if it's like you're missing that idea, like he's trying to convey your own sense of belovedness, especially for a pride a pride 
type or. Oh yeah. And yeah. he does it, man. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Maybe that's why I applied it to everybody else. Maybe mm. it was close. Yeah. Maybe there's nothing generous about that at all. <laughs> uh, I think threes um, have a hard time not cutting corners, mm. not wanting to uh, live in a slower rhythm, yeah. which I think a spiritual journey kind of demands. I think spiritual practices demand that. And I think threes are put together in a way where they want to accomplish and move on. Mm and accomplish and move on. And some things are just, you just have to stay in the long, slow rhythm of life, right? I'll tell you somebody who will, who will get your curiosity up and that is, you, 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 do you know David White? Yes, I have like his book right in here. I, everybody's book is surrounding me in this office. You have constellations? Hold on. Because <laughs> I have it right here. Oh yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. you need consolations. Okay, I don't have consolations. Yeah. I got well, yeah. it, it'll get you. Okay. So get that. Okay, I will. Um, <laughs> I love that I'm getting so, assignments from Suzanne. I'm like, yes, I will. I will do that. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> um, I I think everybody should do centering prayer. Mm-hmm. Everybody. That's mm-hmm. Joe and I recommend that first thing. I think it's harder for some numbers than others. And I think it's hard for threes. Yeah. I think that threes are as inclined to help other people as twos are. They just do it in a different way. Threes uh, are the best cheerleader you can have, Mm -hmm. but they stay once removed from things by doing that. By helping you achieve what you can achieve, they might not be achieving what they can achieve. So I think those are some struggles that have. And I think with a spiritual journey and spirituality and spiritual practices, checking stuff off is not exactly the best route. Yeah, the the the, the person who helped who started the organization I'm working for, it's called Beloved Arise, and um, uh, he's a three. Yeah. And he's the biggest cheerleader out there um, and he loves starting things. And, and our tagline is to celebrate and empower queer, queer youth of faith. So he's just really about that celebrating, encouraging. And yeah, it's really sweet. Yeah. I don't have a hard time slowing down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's good that he has you to carry that on on the days when he wants to do something else. (laughs) Um, Fours. Interestingly enough, people tend to think that fours are the people on the Enneagram who would be very attracted to the martyrs of the church and all the suffering that goes on there. But actually, the number that's the most attracted to the martyrs is sevens because they don't suffer well. So they want to learn how to do that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fours... um, tend to over-identify with different parts of spirituality or a spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. And then when it doesn't meet everything they wanted it to be, they kind of embellish 
their experience with that in order to fulfill what their initial desire was. You know, uh, fours are trapped in a place of if they're sad, they want to be sadder. And if they're happy, they want to be happier. Yeah. And spirituality has room for both. But I think the point of most spiritual practices is to look at how they challenge you. And fours tend to go with how they are comforted by them. Mm. I think it's uh, the biggest gift that fours bring to the table, I think, uh, uh, outside of all that they're able to create because of how they see. I think the biggest gift they bring to the table is that they can bear witness to pain. And not other numbers just can't. Like, I'm terrible at that. (laughs) But, you know, if you are... uh, able to bear witness to your own pain for too long, then you don't get better. And if you're able to bear witness to somebody else's pain for too long, then you don't encourage them to get better. Yeah. And I think there's a possibility that they can lose themselves in the, if, if people haven't done a lot of spiritual work and spiritual reading, this may not make sense. But I think if you have, then you know that force can lose themselves in the ecstasy of spiritual tradition and mystics and all of that or in the dark night of the soul Mm -hmm. and all of that. So that's a, that's a tricky place, I think for fours. And once they've gone to one extreme or the other, then the most terrific thing for them is in the middle. So when fours come to me and ask for a spiritual practice, I give them something like, uh, make your bed every morning and make sure that everything is hung up and that you're tending to the basics mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. if you have a beautiful grocery store like here at central market i i lived in renton for three months but i can't remember a long long time ago but i can't remember what any of the stuff is up there but <laughs> you know there are markets that have everything displayed beautifully and then just regular grocery stores mm-hmm. and i tell them to go to the regular grocery store mm-hmm. Because you got to be able to find beauty in the ordinary or you can't find it. Yeah. Right. So I used to have them read uh, Practice the Presence. Who is that? Brother? Brother Lawrence? Yeah. 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 And then I had uh, over maybe a five-year period, I had three or four fours that just learned from Brother Lawrence that they wanted to bake bread. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that that became a spiritual practice for them. It was bad. All right, fives. Uh, what what works for you? I think leaning into something more mystic and experiential is very helpful because you can tell it's like I have five bookshelves in here. I always want to run and get my book yeah. and talk about my book and talk about what I learned. Um, so if I am going to embrace anything uh, on the spiritual level, uh, I mean, to a certain extent, I can I can get near the headspace of the ones you talked about earlier, or I'm, I'm not that persnickety about things, but, um, you know, it, we, we're going to a virtual church on Sundays these days at uh, our church. Yeah. And my wife knows, you know, we're doing the songs and prayers and I'm sort of wandering around the house with my coffee and I'm like, tell me when the sermon starts. Yeah. Yeah. Just the content, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't feel a need to sing. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave out the fact that you're drinking coffee and walking around the house during the prayers. I'm, I don't <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, I think a really good spiritual practice for fives is meeting with a feeling type. Mm. To read any book or study any part of scripture or, you know, yeah. do any of that. And, and you're doing repress, but that, that you can figure out. The <laughs> whole thing about being patient with feelings. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think when you um, are thinking dominant, it's hard to learn the value of feelings, maybe. Oh, for so. sure. Yeah, that, that'd be a good thing. And I, I think five struggle with that. And I think they struggle with things that are in a one way with things that are not handled the way they're advertised. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? Totally. yeah. <laughs> um, I think spirituality for sixes is um, real important, mm. primarily because sixes don't trust themselves. Mm. Um because they have a tendency to over trust authority figures who have a big platform and who are charismatic and who have answers. Yeah. And a good spiritual director can take sixes down a path where they have to come up with their own answers Mm. and they have to figure out things for themselves. And then they find out that they can. So good spiritual practices for sixes um, have to do with things that require thinking and doing. Mm. Both needing to trust yourself. So Joe's message to sixes that I think is perfect is that you have to learn to trust your own experience of God Mm. and your own experience of life. Mm. And the best way for sixes to do that interestingly enough, is to read stories, one of the best ways, is for them to read uh, the saints Mm. and, you know, find their way through uh, John of the Cross for a year (laughs) Yeah. in order to be curious and bored and everything that you would be, but thinking for yourself all along the way. Yes, that's genius. Is it? Yeah, because it's also... The, the, the stories and the people rather than rather than just the theology or the thinking yeah. that yeah yeah and be inspired yes exactly yeah. and they can get in touch with their own theology mm-hmm. which is not to be negated <laughs> right <laughs> sevens um our son joel has had a profound experience reading Thomas Merton. Yeah. And I never would have recommended Merton to a seven. You know, Merton was a four, so I would have recommended Merton to fours. And I tell ones they should read people they disagree with. But <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have occurred to me. And then Joel said to me, I don't want to read about people who are like me. I want to read people who I need to be like. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he, you know, lacks foreignness in most ways (laughs) Uh, and 
that's been a really important thing for him. And I think for Sevens, um, I think their curiosity about the martyrs has to do with the fact that they don't feel like they have a capacity for managing pain. Mm. So they kind of need it. Yeah. Eights, spirituality is not quick. Yeah. It's a, a very long process. And um, I, I don't think threes are ready for a spiritual journey of sorts until they've experienced their first significant failure. And I don't think eights are ready for a spiritual journey until they've experienced their first significant betrayal. Ooh. And after that, there is a vulnerability that they can't set aside. And then from that place, spiritual practices can be very helpful. I was a, years ago, I was a speaker at Christianity 21. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. And um, actually, I wanted to be a speaker. I was invited to be there and they paid my way, but they wanted me to do individual Enneagram appointments. Mm -hmm. So I asked Tony why, Tony Jones, why I had to do that. Yeah. And, um, he said, well, these speakers are saying um, they're all women and what they think about women in the 21st century, but they had to say it in 21 minutes. And he said, you can't say anything in 21 minutes, which as you're living through right now is absolutely true. So <laughs> um, I was supposed to be in these appointments and I didn't think anybody would sign up for them. So I left my whole appointment thing open for the whole time. And they took all but one. Wow. So that was great because I got to be with all those cool speakers one-on-one, which I would have never explained, experienced, expected. Mm-hmm. So I got to go hear one speaker and we were headed in to do it. And uh, it was Sybil Macbeth, who I've come to know and love. And mm. she knows the story. So yeah. I'm not, it, it doesn't hurt her. Yeah. But she was teaching praying in color. Mm-hmm. And my daughter, who's an eight, was with me. Mm. And I walked in to the one talk I could hear of the people who were there. And I said, oh, I don't want to do this. And they handed us a thing at the door with a colored pencil and a card. So we're supposed to do the whole thing. So I thought Joey would settle right up to me and say, oh, I don't want to do this either. But she didn't. Hmm. She sat down and started doing everything Sybil said. Wow. She said it's one of the most profound spiritual experiences she's ever had. Huh. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> and lots of eights have done it since and have come to me and said, thank you for that story because that's really true. Mm. So I think it has to do with, like Sybil started that day with think about your, draw something that, you know, is your image of God, like a, a symbol or something. And then somebody you want to pray for and all that. and Drawing, drawing, drawing. And Joey said it kept me busy enough that I could pray. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's what that's about. I also think eights uh, need a spiritual practice that is uh, reflective, probably, you know, and nines. Nines. (laughs) Nines. I, um, nines generally fall asleep reading. They are very good about prayer that is predetermined. Mm. 
but the one thing that works for nines is um, daily, regularly scheduled prayer that they show up for and pray and then go on to the next thing. And you can get shortened forms of that and long forms of that. Long form is the liturgy of the hours. But there's a shortened form by Merton. There, there, there are a lot of ways to do that. And it keeps nines connected to themselves, which is harder for them than anything. And it keeps them connected to God by doing certain decided upon times of prayer. Yeah. So that's what I got for that. I think all those fours, fives, and nines need some sort of consistent yeah. commitment of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. I love that. I, I love that you were willing to do that too, because I feel like that is uh, such an on-brand, true Susan's to be Suzanne's to be a thing. We're going to go around the wheel here and really, here we go. <laughs> that's wonderful. Um, man, thank you so much for doing that. Well, i tell you what, um, I like you a ton and I like what you're doing yeah. <laughs> and I like uh, the thought that we might get a chance to be supportive of that in some way. Yes. Yes. Um, and I liked being on your podcast, which is why I talked longer than I told you I could. Yeah. yeah I was like, off by several times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you cut whatever you feel like you need to, but I had a wonderful time. Same. I'm same here. I, I mean, I just, you know, I think there's a lot of mutual appreciation and respect going on here, but yeah, I mean, I've been, really warmly impacted by your work and you said for a five to spend time going over a book with a heart type you know I essentially have done that virtually with you over lots of years reading your books and listening to your podcast so it's been very helpful for me um, but yeah I hope we somehow stay in touch because um, this is really really good well I, I want a gig in Seattle so you get me one and I'll come oh yes please yeah it would be so fun um, I'm not kidding yeah. I want to come to Seattle so Okay. <laughs> when this uh when this liminality is over, this COVID time is yeah. over. Yes, yeah. yeah, call us. I will. Okay. You call Laura. We'll be there. I will. I will. Okay. Thank you so much, both of you. This has been you so. Bet. Okay. Bye. Get in touch. Bye. Really, we want to do a book stop for the next book on the West Coast. I was praying yeah. about Seattle last night. Just saying. So. Let's make it happen. I mean, okay. yeah, I would love we that. We just need a venue. That's all. Yeah. I, I I mean, I've been I've been um I've been up here you know, working in churches up here in Seattle for my whole adult life. So it's like, I've, I have all the connections. So yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> Bye you guys. You're our guy. Bye.